you're a great professional, but tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, John, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Carol. So, fans are back in Anfield. The Reds put on a superb homecoming display, and there's a young keeper causing a real stir. It's the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hoversall. Full compliment today with James Pierce, Simon Hughes, and Kiever O'Neill. Loads of positives to talk about, even a few players returning from injury. This is the Red Agenda, and right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any footy fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis, in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. Wave goodbye to 2020. Say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. Can't think of anything better. It's the perfect present for yourself and for someone else. So head to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. That's the athletic.com slash Liverpool pod and sign up right now. So five months uh, since Liverpool were crowned champions and the fans finally got their moment with the players. Brilliant to hear bring on the champions pre-match and it was a special night. James, let's start with yourself. Um, you were there. Did, did it feel important to you? Oh yeah, it felt, it felt massively important. I think um, you, you could feel the difference just just on the short walk to the the stadium from from Stanley Park. I mean, it was it was just so special to you know see people around you know the outside of the ground again, and you know people queuing to to get in as soon as the turnstiles opened at six o'clock. And Klopp said himself that you know he'd, he'd referenced in the, the the meeting with the players pre-game that he said you know we don't really know how much difference it's going to make. He said you know if if it's great then let's use it. If it's not, we have to ignore it because. I think he was wary about you know overegging it too much because you know it was two thousand people surrounded by fifty two thousand empty seats, but um, it made a, a huge difference and 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 I, you know the the impact was there for everyone to see on every Liverpool player because I think they were energised by the soundtrack that was provided. It was you know Klopp described it as you know goosebumps from the moment they walked out to warm up and. Um, you know, I didn't. I had no idea that two thousand people could make quite so much noise, and um, yeah, it, it inspired a very special performance. Yeah, and he said that at the end, Si. He's so great with his words. He said, "Look, ten months ago, if you'd had two thousand in Anfield, you, you'd have been a little bit wary of the whole thing." Oh, Come James, on, put James. your dog away. <laughs> Milo, Let me just Milo, shut the get out. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you see the picture of the press conference on uh, on Friday that James put on where he had the cat across his computer? <laughs> and it's just thought, what disrespect to Jurgen Klopp. Sounds Klopp, like he's trying. Sounds like he's fighting with the dog. Right, I think we're back. It sounds like you threw him out the window uh, there. No, James. no, that was the cat that got launched. They just have to be separated <laughs> at times. Let's resume this red agenda podcast. Um, Simon, <laughs> Jürgen said at the end, um, and it was brilliant the way that he spelt this out. He said, look, 10 months ago, if you'd had 2,000 fans in Anfield, you'd have thought, what the heck's going on? Uh, but it gave him goosebumps. Hmm. Well, it's often the simplicity of his words, I think. And I, I saw uh, the, the programme notes and you know, he was saying there about how how a lot of people just come to appreciate the most normal of things being 
being the best things really. And I, I've got to be honest, I, I haven't really found the the allure of Anfield being quite the same without without any fans and the the, the temptation to to go to matches just just really hasn't been there on a personal level. And uh, I, I think you could tell last night watching the game. I mean, I was watching it on TV and it. I think it did lift the team. I think I think the team plays with an extra, extra bit of well. There was extra tempo in the performance. There's been times in in games over the last couple of months where I think they haven't really quite gone for the throat, and yeah, they, they certainly did that last night. And it, it it certainly helped the performance. And you could tell that they wanted to put on a show for for the people that were there. And it's funny, isn't it? I think that sometimes at Anfield, you know, if the, that game was played in front of. 50, 55, 60,000 people on a Sunday night. It might be, even in a full house, it might be quite quiet. Um, but last night it sounded really loud, even even on TV with 2000 in there. So it was just great to see at the end, you know, obviously Klopp celebrating with the fans the way the way he normally does. He, 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 looks, he actually looks quite relieved, I thought, on, on his, you know, his facial expression. He, he looks... He looks like a happy man just just because of the simple things and yeah I, I think it's a it is a big it is big moments because I think it gives people all a bit of hope that the next year will be better and eventually we'll, we'll have you know more or less more or less a full house back in in all the stadiums I, th- I think all the games this weekend that I've watched actually not, not just at Liverpool have, have been better for it there's been a bit it's felt like there's been a bit more riding on the games and, and players have been just a bit more aggressive and and adventurous apart from Tottenham maybe in the second half <laughs> it's it's the simple things that Klopp does when, when he came out and he fist pumped at the very end Kiva it, it was really significant that felt like the most exciting moment of the year, didn't it? Um, and I wasn't even at Anfield, just waiting for it on the telly. And I was looking at my mum and I was saying, he's going to do it any minute. Come on, Jürgen. And we were sort of waiting for him. And then he did it. Like, to be one of those lucky fans there last night, you must have just obviously felt that in the cop. Like, you know, the, the fans haven't been able to to be with this team in the, the most historic moments of all, when they lifted the title and when they won it, you know, in those final few games. So for them to be back there last night, just before this horrific year is over, it's just, it was lovely, wasn't it? And I mean, the cameraman had an easy job last night, didn't he? Just filming actual people at the ground instead of just, you know, what's he been filming? A dust bowl dance, I'm not really sure. They kept panning to different fans and all the oldies in the crowd. I was like, I was tearing up. Like someone uh, posted before that the the nan's gone viral and someone else said the granddad's gone viral. I think Wally Williams was his name. And I'm just like, oh, this is just lovely. Like, this is what it's about, like fans. And it's been horrible, hasn't it? Not being able to to go the match and enjoy watching this team play. And even if you can't get to the game, I think watching it with fans is, like Simon mentioned, it's just a completely different feeling. It just, that felt like, my favourite Liverpool win ever because it just felt like something, a little bit of our soul had sort of returned. And yeah, it was lovely, wasn't it? And obviously it wasn't just the crowd there. Virgil van Dijk was in attendance, which I I think really boosted everyone, didn't it? Yeah, so, so, so important. Let's go to the game itself. Dominant Liverpool against another of those sides that people were saying ahead of the match, oh, they could cause Liverpool a problem. We said it about Leicester a couple of weeks ago, James. Um, Wolves, well-organised, disciplined, but... You know, Liverpool just a, a cut above, really. Yeah, they, they, they certainly were. I think Nuno probably summed up best when he said, you know, we just couldn't handle Liverpool. He couldn't handle the intensity. We couldn't handle the pressing. He said they just couldn't get hold of the ball for any any sustained period. And um, yeah, I, you know, it was the second half when Liverpool really, you know, cut loose and 
and tore Wolves to shreds. But even first half, I thought they were very comfortable. Um, you know, Mo Salah punishing um, that mistake from Connor Cody for the opener. And you know, when they perform like that, they're they're almost impossible to stop when there's that that combination of quality and and energy and you know the organisation in every department. I thought defensively, uh, you know, they were they were immaculate. And I thought I thought Nico Williams again, you know, great to great to see him perform to that level. I mean, Andy Robertson, you know, you run out of superlatives to describe his form this season. And you know, Matip and Fabino are cementing the kind of partnership that we didn't know what the Liverpool could possibly have without Van Dijk and, and without Joe Gomez. So, um, and then, you know, the, 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 the midfield in terms of, you know, Curtis Jones, what a, what a night for him. He just grows in stature, doesn't he, with every performance he plays f- for the club. And you know, I thought I thought Henderson was was absolutely out, outstanding as well. And then, you know, it was a big call by Klopp to leave Jota out against his former club. But I thought Firmino as well, you know, more than repaid that faith because there was some of his old sparkle back on... Yeah, it was, you know, it was just a night absolutely jam-packed with positives. And it was, you know, it was just really nice to be able to talk about the football more than, you know, the, the fact that we were talking about the football, we're not talking about VAR, we're not talking about rows over TV scheduling and five subs. We're, we're mm. eulogising about the brilliance of, a, of an amazing team who were, who were putting up a, you know, a really strong defence of their title. You mentioned Jordan Henderson and myself and Sai. So we, we were talking about this before we started the pod, just the energy that he inputs into the game. For me, he he was the standout player. I just think Liverpool are an entirely different beast when he's involved in the team and he's playing to that level. Yeah, I think I think since Liverpool won the Champions League, he's he's just played in a, in a different sort of way. It's, it's like he knows now that he is a top top quality player. You know, he's got vindication of that. I think there's always. Maybe maybe he's always he's been undermined a little bit by a bit of self doubt I think but now the way what I love what I love about him is is the way how quickly he gets the ball forward you know he doesn't mess around like when when you think back to that the game against Chelsea when Chelsea had Christiansen sent off at Stamford Bridge there's quite a few occasions like that last night for example the Salah's goal he speculated with the pass a little bit put Cody under a little bit of pressure knowing that. You know, Cozy will be thinking about Salah floating around. I think he just got in his head a little bit. And it's that sort of speculative past which gets Liverpool right on the front foot all the time. And I just love that. I just love that in his game. And when when he's not there, I think you notice a big difference. And I understand, I suppose, like sort of the way people who don't support Liverpool or have, have an interest in Liverpool, when, when a Liverpool player is doing well, it, it tends to be the same accusation that Liverpool fans or, or journalists, I suppose, are big and the players up too much but I, I do think now that he, he's one of the best midfielders in Europe comfortably the top top five or six midfielders you know easily he's, he's not, not in terms of his just his, his playing ability but his influence on the team as well because when it, when he plays like that when he's so aggressive when he's charging everybody down and leading the fight I, I just think it makes a massive difference to the way Liverpool play and I thought it was interesting that the Klopp Played him in a slightly more advanced role and put Juan Alden a bit deeper last night. Uh, normally, you, you would have expected it to be the other way around, but I, th- I thought it worked really well, actually. So yeah, yeah, he's having a great time. I mean, he's obviously, as I, as I said, Champions League winning captain, World Cup Championship winning captain, Premier League winning captain. You know, it's it's incredible what he's achieved over the last couple of years, and it's just been great to watch a player who. 
coming into the latter stages of his of his football career. He's not a young player anymore. It's like he's hitting his peak now. Then I, th- I think he's sort of defied sort of modern convention when people say, "Oh, you know, the sort of the best players at the sort of the past the peak when they get past twenty seven. I think he's really hitting it at this time because he he's not losing his energy. He's not losing his influence. His, his passing ability, I think, has become better. He's just been superb, and it's 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 absolutely crucial that he's available. I think until the end of the season, because as as James has just said there, I think it that the performance is a reminder of just how devastating Liverpool can be, and explains why they're they're still the team to beat. Yeah, and just looks like he loves the responsibility. There's a few others we should pick out. Let's talk Andy Robertson and Genie Wijnaldum because the amount of minutes they've played this season, Kiva um, Robertson more more than anyone. He's been the consistent while everyone else in the team has been sort of struggling with injuries at times and what have you. He's been the consistent, hasn't he? Yeah, and I think Liverpool have needed that, haven't they? Just someone who's always been there because that's how you win titles, isn't it? With the same team almost. Um, But obviously Liverpool have been so hit by injuries that that just hasn't been a possibility. Um, I think that was Robertson's 22nd star for club and country this season. You know, he's just an absolute monster, isn't he? Did, he? He took a knock, didn't he, against, was it Ajax and just carried on. He just mm. seems the type of player to be like playing every game with it. I think he played, not like was it last season? He had like a bit of a sort of injury, didn't he? But he just played through it. He's that kind of player. It's like, you know, if it's not preventing him from running and doing what he does best, which is flying up and down the wing, then, you know, he's playing, isn't he? And, you know, sometimes he does get caught short, but... He makes up for it and like I think that risk is worth it, isn't it, in the end, with him being so high up the pitch and um I mean I thought on the other flank Nico Williams was outstanding. Um, you know, for some of the criticism he's had in, in recent weeks. He's a brilliant young player and deserves lots of credit for his performance. And then obviously Trent comes on and does the business as he as always. Mm. But yeah, Robertson's just a machine, isn't he? And just someone you need in your team, one of those captains who's just someone you can look to. And especially when the defence has been so, you know, it's had different players in it every week, hasn't it? Different keeper. He's there just to be that one constant source of, right, this is this is where we where we hold the line, this is what we do. And I mean, you know, Matip and Fabinho were excellent as well, as was Kelleher in goal. Um, but yeah, he was just phenomenal, wasn't he? And I think rightly so, he got man of the match from Ali McCoyce, who was doing the commentary, a, a brilliant, brilliant commentary it was there. Uh, by the way, um, and he rightly got it. I mean, I, th- I think he was a little bit biased being being a Scot himself, but you couldn't have picked the man of the match. It was one of those games, sort of similar to Leicester, <laughs> where you were thinking, who is the man of the match? Because all of them, like all of them were brilliant. Um, and then obviously Ginny Wijnaldum. I, I, is he underrated anymore? Can we keep saying this? Because I don't think he is. Like we, we talk about him all the time and maybe he's not getting the wider sort of coverage that he deserves, but Liverpool fans love him and speak about him every week. You know, there's appreciation tweets after every game. Obviously, he was asked, wasn't he, after the game about his his contract and he, he didn't want to comment on that, and I guess rightly so. But, you know, it'll be, it'll be dire if Liverpool lose him. The way he's been playing this season and the past few seasons for Liverpool, it'd be a massive loss to lose him. He's such a phenomenal player and it was great to see him get his goal and what a finish it was. Yeah, I mean, after the fist pump, James, the goal was the moment of the night for me, probably because the way they celebrated together. I mean, it was a special goal anyway, wasn't it? But the celebration was fantastic with the team itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was what Liverpool are all about, and it was pace and incision on the on the counter attack, and then you know, really intelligent movement from I think it was Mane and 
and Salah to distract the defenders and give Genie Wijnaldum the, the space he required to to bend that that ball so brilliantly into the the, the top corner. And um, yeah, it was you could just see how much you know, he's such a popular figure when Alden within the squad you know you could see that from the way in which he was engulfed by his teammates and you know also a classy touch from him heading towards Virgil van Dijk and you know he, he's he said hasn't he, he's going to continue doing van Dijk's celebration in in tribute to him whilst his power is on the uh, the sidelines so um yeah I think you know when 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 Alden performs to that level you know, you can't help but but go. You know, talk about his you know his contract situation again because if he does leave on a free at the end of the season, which still looks like the most likely scenario, then he is going to be a massive loss because aside from his quality, you know, we we talked before then about Robertson and you know his his kind of unbelievable bounds of energy and you know just just you know the fact that he's always fit, he's so robust, and when Aldum's very much in that that same bracket, I think. You know, I look back and you know I think that's eleven successive starts for club and country over the last five weeks and you know at a time when players have been dropping like flies and Klopp's had to rotate a lot he's he's been there through thick and thin and um, you know again after the game he kind of just batted away questions about his future said you know I've told you you know the the, the stuff about the contract you need to ask the club it's not for me to talk about. Um, which you know and 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 again I, I think you know there was nothing really in his words there to. To, to really give you any more hope that he will stay beyond this season. But you know you, you look at it and you just think you know, he's such a good fit for this Klopp team. And the, the relationship is clearly so strong between him and the manager. And yes, I know it's not it's not an easy situation because you know he's, he's going to be going on 31 by the end of his current contract and Liverpool don't dish out long lucrative extensions to players who are past 30. But I, I just think he's such a special player. That, that sometimes you know there have to be exceptions to the rule, just like there was when Liverpool went and wrapped up that deal for Thiago. So um, you know, I, I really hope that they can get around the table and 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 still sort out a compromise. But you know, clearly with with that, you know, January isn't far away, and he could sign a pre-contract with a a club overseas. And um, you know, it, it does look like this is when Alden's last season at, at Liverpool. And if that's the case. You know, regardless of what happens between now and May, he'll he'll walk away as a true legend. It's crackers that we're still talking like this, Si. Goodness me, we've talked about it so many times on the podcast, haven't we? But he says he he pretty much wants to stay. Klopp says he wants him to stay, and yet as James is talking about that, it still feels like he's leaving at the end. Hmm. I I can't get my head around it really. I mean, I think obviously a lot of people compared to what happened with Emre Cham a couple of years ago and who. Let's face it, was a was a younger player than Juan Alden. But if I'm being totally honest, I, I thought Emery Chan's importance to the team was grossly uh, exaggerated. Really, I, I, I don't think that Juan Alden's importance is. I think he's an integral part of the the starting eleven and the squad and the, the personality of the team as well. You know, you got the captaincy after Henderson went off last night. He's one of the the, the higher ranking players within the the framework of the squad. A player who other players like. And I, I mean, last season, I, before the pandemic, I, I watched a lot of games from from sort of lower down in, in the stands. I may have mentioned this before, but I think that when you're, you're, you're close to the pitch, you just realise just how effective and how brilliant he is. I mean, he, he never gives the ball away, ever, despite, you know, the, the position that he plays where he's, he's often under the most pressure and has to release it quickly. And he gives the defence, the full-backs, the, the two centre-halves, a lot of cover really in front of them. And... 
I just think to, to let him go, I, I agree with James. I think I don't see that him as a player who loses all that energy. There's a bit of Milner about him, you know, in terms of his endurance. And I, I could see him still playing for Liverpool in three or four years' time. So for me, you've got to try and find a way of keeping him. I think he's a really important player. I understand, obviously, Curtis Jones, we haven't really discussed him, but I thought he was brilliant again last night. And he's showing signs of becoming a top, top, class player I think you know is maybe the question marks a few years ago about his well maybe his personality his maturity and stuff like that and whether he really wanted to do sort of all the dirty sides of the game but he's I think he's clearly been watching finals and because he's doing all the stuff that he does and then trying to contribute in the final thirds as well so I, I think maybe that's coming into the, the consideration at Liverpool a little bit but it's it's proven that this this season that the in particularly in that area the pitch you know there's it's, it tends to be the the area that the, that has the most changes in the course of the season and if there's if there's a way of keeping him I think Liverpool have got to do it because he's Juan Alden for me is being one of the most important signings that Klopp has made in terms of he fits all the things that he wants in his team and to lose him I think it'd be a major blow for Liverpool I, I can't understand from his point of view why he'd want to leave Liverpool as well the, the, at the moment. Barcelona in absolute crisis. There's more articles this week, I think, about you know the financial state of the club. Real Madrid's way behind the play in the middle of a rebuild. There's not there's not many teams that you'd want to go and sign for. I think that are going to be able to. He he could be missing out on a, on a new part of Liverpool's history where they go and dominate the league. I can't understand why he wouldn't want to be a part of that. So I think there's got to be some concessions from his side as well. This is the Red Agenda. Thanks for listening. Your exclusive uh, Liverpool Football Club podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Steve Hothersall. Uh, we have Kiva O'Neill, Simon Hughes and James Pearce. Let's talk about the pride of Cork, who uh, a couple of games ago wasn't really on anyone's lips, but two clean sheets in both the Champions League and the Premier League. Numerous top-class saves. And Kiva, he's cool as ice. <laughs> he looks so chilled. Yeah, he's absolutely brilliant, isn't he? Um you know, I watched him at the academy this season and, you know, he's a good goalkeeper. You know that straight away. And the fact that he can, you know, hit the ball with both his feet is is a massive, you know, bonus for any goalkeeper, especially in Jurgen Klopp's team. It's now surprising me how he hasn't sort of got a chance sooner because he's a goalkeeper who I thought Adrian's done a, a good job, a solid job when he's come in, but he's not a goalkeeper that he fills you with a little bit of dread, doesn't he? Like coming for corners and stuff like that. Last night watching Kelleher, I wasn't worried at all at any point. There was no worry at all. And Wolves are an attacking side. They're a good team. You know, this was meant to be another big test for Liverpool as every game last season was, oh, here come whoever. And, you know, Liverpool just, just passed the test each time. But for a 22-year-old to put in a performance like that. And it was nil-nil when he made that save from, I'm not sure who it was, but it was like he just tipped it round the post. And, oh, pudence. Yeah, I just think, you know, to have that, like, you know, that ability anyway, you can you can see that having trained of the world's best goalkeeper and Alison Becker is really, really paying dividends, isn't it, um, to Keller's game, um, even if they couldn't spell his surname right in the first half. But... Um, he had a shirt, didn't he? But it was Kelleher, but it was without the E after the double L. So then in the second half, he, he came back out and they had it spelt right. But, you know, it's uh, you know, they're, they're getting used to it, aren't they, I guess, the Irish names. You two but, have got something in common. Names yeah, that we one have. can spell, it's, Kiva. I know, it's interesting because obviously he's Quivine, 
but I'm Kiva because my family are from Derry, so they don't pronounce it in the, the Gaelic way. <laughs> so it's very confusing for people on Twitter who keep asking me how to pronounce my name and telling me how to pronounce my own name. And I'm like, I don't pronounce it that way. But, you know, um, it's it's great to see my namesake there doing, doing a job for Liverpool. And I tell you what is lovely, having an Irish player playing for Liverpool, like obviously, you know, most people in Liverpool have got Irish in them somewhere down the line. Um, and I just know how passionate the Irish fans are and, you know, I know a lot of our listeners will be be from Ireland and, you know, they'll just be absolutely overjoyed that the, the lad from Cork is, is doing a job for Liverpool and, you know, that's what they want. Thousands of, of Irish people come to every Liverpool game, you know, when it's in a, in a normal world and just for them to have to have a lad playing for Liverpool just must feel so, so good. And, and I spoke to my uncle last night in Ireland and, you know, they're just like absolutely buzzing. Like, you know, there's, there's going to be kids in Ireland now getting his name on the back of shirts, hopefully spelt right. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's that kind of little, it's that little inspiration, isn't it, that we all need? Just clarify for us the pronunciation of his name. I was asked this a thousand times last night. I've I've covered under 23 games for a few years. We've always called him Quivine. Is that correct? Yeah, Quivine, I would say. All right. Because I know the goal, the goalkeepers call him um, Queeve. I, I was talking with John Achterberg the other day. Is it is that a, a different pronunciation of it? Just so everyone's on the same page. No, that's just the the C A O I M H right. would be Queeve. All right. Technically, but obviously for me it's not. So I make for me and everyone in the north would be different. But gotcha. Very very confusing, I know. But look, we've got a little cat on our hands haven't we he's brilliant a top cat um, um, and you know long may it continue James I mentioned I was talking with John Axerberg the other day about him and he said exactly what Kiva just said then um, training with Alison Becker has taken him to a different level yeah yeah, and, and I think you, you, you could probably you know make parallels with, with Curtis Jones in terms of you, you don't always have to go out on loan do you to for a young player to take the next steps especially when you're training with, you know, the absolute best in the world in your position. And, um, you know, Jones and Kelleher are examples of that. You know, Liverpool thought about sending him out on loan last season. but In the end, they couldn't really with, you know, Mignolet leaving, Adrian coming in and obviously Alisson get, getting the injury when he did. And then, you know, even going back to this summer, Den Haag in Holland, I understand were, were, were very keen to kind of give him the first team football that I think probably I Liverpool felt would have been great for his development. But... You know, on on the other side of it, they couldn't leave themselves short. And um, yeah, he's you know he's a quiet guy, Kelleher. He, you know, you speak to people around the place, and they said you know he's not a you know a big boisterous personality. He just you know he's a a real you know model professional. Gets his head down, works hard, listens and learns. And 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 Liverpool have been you know hugely impressed by his development. And um, yeah, the, you know the decision to throw him in against Ajax last week probably you know raised a few eyebrows, but. You know, I, I just think you know Adrian's form had been that patchy that it wasn't really a big call to leave Adrian out. It was just whether Kelleher was ready to to step in and deliver, and he he deserves massive credit because yes, he'd had a bit of a taste of it before, but it's it's a big leap from you know playing in the League Cup again, you know, in the FA Cup to against lower league teams to suddenly playing in, in a you know a really important Champions League game and then your Premier League debut. And um, yeah, you know, speaking to a few people about him last week, it was. It was interesting how Liverpool came to actually sign him in the first place back in 2015 because it was actually a recommendation from Conor Masterson, you know, who'd, who'd played youth football uh, at Republic for the for the Republic of Ireland with with Keller. You know, he he told Liverpool staff back then that he thought they should be taking a look at him, um, and he was over 
having been been for a trial at Man United, so Liverpool got him down to the academy and um, liked what they saw and decided to to go for it. Uh, you know, he only cost Liverpool thirty thousand pound, which uh, I think it's fair to say he's he's repaid that a few times over with those back to back performances in the in the last week. For the full story on Keller, uh, go on The Athletic and read about the boy from court because Simon's done the most in-depth piece on his history that you're ever going to read. I don't think he's left anything out on his on his youth period. He, he was a he was a striker, Si. Yeah, yeah. Well, his 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 story's been floating about social media for a little while now about his his background playing up front for Ringman Rangers in, in Cork and. It's 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 quite it's it's a really great story I think in terms of you know from his point of view the the transition from striker just the, the elements of fortune around it he, the team that he was playing for I think they were under fourteens and um they they, were, they had a goalkeeper who who was actually underage for that for that group and decided that he didn't want to play in that group anymore because he was finding the matches and the, the games a bit too hard in terms of the overall commitment because he was playing so so much and that left the manager at Ringmarm without without a goalkeeper and they, they finished training apparently one I think on a Thursday night and Quivine's father Ray called him and said you know why why don't you put Quivine in goal and he was like well he's our best striker you know he scores 20 30 goals a season his name was like well known across Cork as being one of the best best players he was getting picked for sort of the county side and playing at all these prestigious tournaments and they had quite high hopes for him so it was a real sort of left field shout like the manager had never even seen him playing goal other than other than in you know knocking about at a training when they're just they're just messing before and after sessions and he was really unsure about it so he spoke to some of the other coaches and they were like I don't think this is a good idea you know like we're going to be missing our best strikers surely there must be somebody else but in the end they, they sort of went with the father's advice and just gave him a chance but then in that first game, he apparently made a big error. The cross came in, windy pitch, flew straight over his head. They lost 1 0, and it was his mistake for the goal. But he, he otherwise played really, really well, apparently, and recovered from that mistake and, and, and showed that he had sort of the personality and the temperament to to not be defined by his, 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 his errors, really. And from there, you know, I spoke to quite a few of the people around the club and, and former teammates uh, and they just said his acceleration in terms of his development was just astonishing. There were, there were, there were several other goalkeepers in the city who were, who were better than him and he just raced past them, just found it really easy and as James said, you know, there was there was a lot of interest. I think Aston Villa and, and Blackburn wanted him as well but yeah, he, he ended up at Liverpool and to me, he, he, he looks... He looks a really, really good goalkeeper. I mean, the, the save that Kiva mentioned there, I thought was top class save footwork and got his hands, hand-eye coordination right and everything else. And, you know, was, I, th- I, think it, I think it helps the team that now they know that they can go backwards and there's somebody who's comfortable with the ball at his feet. I think with Adrian, it's, it's been... It's been a bit of an awkward fit at times. He has made some great saves, some point blank saves. He's obviously had some some bad moments as well. But I just think it helps the whole structure of the team when they know that there's somebody they can knock it back to. And there was there was a pass I think in the first half where he put it right through the throat of the pitch. And I thought, you know, Adrian's not going to do that. So yeah, yeah, it's a real find. I, I was thinking about it the other day, and I know obviously Everton fans sing about about Seamus Coleman being sixty grand, but. Uh, you know, the 30 grand that the Liverpool <laughs> pays for, for Keller is looking, looking good business at the moment, isn't it? 
undercutting. Um, Cork has got a new hero in Quaveen Kelleher. We wish him well for uh, whatever performances lie ahead. This is the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hothersall, James Pearce, Simon Hughes and Kiva O'Neill. Let's talk about the title race, perhaps for the first time this season. It's nearly a recognised top six, James. So if you, if you look at the top six, bar maybe Arsenal not being in there, Leicester are, but the margins are tight. And of course, for Liverpool pretty soon, it's a game with Tottenham. And you wonder what their ambitions will rest on. How do, how do you view the top six at the moment? I just think it is going to be a really tight season I think just the, the way that everything is with you know the the jam-packed schedule and with and with Covid and the, the, the demands being being placed on, on on the squads that um you know it is it is going to be a bit of you know survival of the fittest in terms of who can who can keep their their key personnel fit for the for the longest periods and um you know I think Tottenham have to be taken seriously now I think they've you know it, that was you know another big step forward for them yesterday winning that North London derby um you know and you know the, the thing with Tottenham I think you know so much relies for them on keeping you know Kane fit I think you know if, if he was to get a muscle injury that ruled him out for five six weeks I think that would hurt them in a way that Liverpool would be able to cope without one of their front three you know if something did happen on that on that front I think you know Chelsea as well you've got to give them credit for you know, we we wondered how quickly they would be able to to bed in new signings, and you know, I think there's there's signs now that you know they are going to be a force to be reckoned with over the course of the season. And you know, Man City again, you know, winning at an absolute canter. You know, they 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 were never going to be stuck in mid table for long. You know, they're they aren't far behind. So for me, it's a it's a four horse race. I think you know between Liverpool, City, Tottenham, and and Chelsea. But I wouldn't swap Liverpool's position with anyone else it's because you know I, I think it's unbelievable when you think of all the hurdles thrown in Liverpool's path so far this season you know all the injuries the you know the positive Covid tests you know the the shambles over VAR some of the scheduling that you know has riled Klopp the fact that despite all of that they're only off the the top of the Premier League on goal difference you know that you know that gives me great heart for the weeks and months to come because you know we saw Trent Alexander Arnold and Naby Keita making their comebacks from injury. You know yeah. we've got Thiago and Oxley Chamberlain. You know they should be back in the coming weeks as well. So you know there's a there's a huge huge amount to be positive about. But you know clearly it's not going to be the procession that we were all treated to last season. It's going to be a fight, but um, you know Liverpool are in a great position. Really interested, Kiva, to see how this game plays out. We'll talk about it in more detail next week, but Liverpool's next home game is against Tottenham, and of course, they're on what sixty-five games unbeaten at Anfield now. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? I think I read this morning it was like the last day, other than that draw to Burnley, it's been like thirty wins, like which is just just relentless, isn't it? Like it's ridiculous when you think of it, and I think. The fact that Liverpool score in every game, they're the only team to have scored in every game this season. You know, we knew as soon as we lost Van Dijk and then Gomez, Liverpool were going to need to score more goals to win the games. But that necessarily hasn't been the case, has it? They've been scoring like last night for fun just because they're a great team. I don't think they needed to score a lot to win that game. Defensively, they were quite astute and in control of the game. I think they're soon sort of catching up on the goal difference after the the, the seven two game, aren't they? You know, they're making making up for it with games like that last night. And I think you know, Tottenham have had a, a great season after their opening day defeat to Everton, which kind of put people off them a little bit. And you know how Mourinho's going about his business there, but 
I watch that game and it's just I mean he's he's a class act as a manager the way he just knows how to how to rile up teams like Arsenal I mean Arsenal completely controlled the second half but did nothing with the ball really other than kept launching it in the box to to no avail like James said I'd, I'd much rather be Liverpool in the fact that you know they do score goals and I think Jermaine Genus said it last night on Match of the Day. He said, you know, everyone thought Liverpool were going to go away with these injuries. Like, oh, you know, fans would have been hoping for that, wouldn't they? Rival fans, all these injuries are that Liverpool's, it's not going to be Liverpool's year. And that they've just took it up a gear. Every player that's played, the young lads that have come in, whoever's been there has just done a job. And I think that just speaks everything about how Jurgen Klopp is as a manager and, you know, what's in place now at Liverpool. And I think we've got to mention just briefly that team over Enemis because Liverpool fans are talking about him for a long, long time, weren't they? Um, in the summer, and I mean, I only saw it last night and was like, "Wow, that was some like might be the the greatest <laughs> miss in the Premier League." You know, like it reminded me of obviously Torres when he moved to Chelsea. Obviously, then you do have to say he made a great assist at the end of the game for Pulisic. But wow, astonishing stuff, lah. Sight, what are you more excited about, Liverpool against Tottenham or Marine against Tottenham? <laughs> um, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at the moment, at the moment, I would actually say Marine. <laughs> you bad man. Honestly, honestly. Uh, right, that game's definitely not been played at Anfield, is it? It's, oh well, well, we should find out a bit more today. I think. Right. I, okay. I think. I think the club's preferences to play it at Marine. Um, I think. It, I think it's just because. I mean, obviously, Marine aren't going to win the game. It's. But but if they did win the game, it would be the biggest shock in football history ever. I think that's that, just incredible when you think about it. But yeah, I think it's going to be at Marine. Well, welcome to hell, yeah. Rosset Park. <laughs> right, let, let's go on to an article that you've written uh, yourself and James about secrets of the Liverpool scout. Really interesting, this. I'd encourage anyone to have a look at it because there's so much that goes into scouting. The first thing that stood out to me was that Liverpool don't have as many scouts as other what we'd label big clubs. Why is that the case, Si? Well, uh, there's a number of reasons, really. I mean, I, I think the comparison that I made in, in the piece is, is with what's happening at Man United, where I think they've got more than 80, 80 full-time scouts across the world. At least they did last year. Um, I think that number's come down a little bit since. But yeah, their, their sort of strategy is to have a full-time scout in a, every major football-playing country across the world, whereas Liverpool do it slightly differently they they have sort of scouts who have primary responsibilities and then secondary responsibilities and it's sort of cut up into sub-regions and there is a reason for that I think Michael Edwards feels that it means that the scout looks at things with a fresher mind I think when you, you, you're sort of looking at the same group of players the same matches the same teams week after week after week there's a feeling that the scouts tend to not question their own judgments and he wants them to do that so so yeah I mean as well I mean the, the budget at Liverpool one thing I probably didn't really get at enough is the budget at Liverpool isn't quite as big as it would be at Manchester United who are a, let's face it still a wealthier club in terms of the revenues that they generate which contributes towards that 
that sort of context in the scouting. So he 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 doesn't feel that just because you've got more scouts, it leads to a more effective scouting system as well. So yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into. It. I mean, we, we try to sort of just explain the basics really of how how it works at Liverpool in terms of how when a scout looks at a player, how do they file their reports and what they make their judgments on and what they are asked to do as well. Because I think over the last sort of six or seven years, there's obviously been a lot written about Liverpool's um, scouting departments and it's gone from one extreme to the other really, where they were obviously getting a lot of criticism, you know, sort of 2013, 14. And I think still think some of that was justified. I think, you know, you can't you can't just say, well, the people at that time, it wasn't working on the pitch. It wasn't, the players that they were signing weren't playing well for Liverpool and a lot of them were moved on pretty quickly. And I think that the, the, the thing that needs to be remembered is that the manager is still very important in all of this. You've got to have a, a really good manager who's got a very clear strategy of what he wants to see in a player. And I think that helps any scouting system. But it, it's quite clear that, that since then, Liverpool's sort of scouting databases has increased, which has allowed them to make better judgments I think when Edwards Dave Fallows Barry Hunter all came in it was in its infancy and, and not particularly extensive and now all these years later you know they've got a, a historical database on, on, on players that they've watched which means that say when they wanted to sign Sadio Mane they had they had reports dating back to when he was playing with Red Bull Salzburg and then similar with other players I think one of the one of the players that we used as an example was, was Alison Becker and Firmino as well you know they, they had scouting reports that went back to his trials when he was when he was in Brazil as, as a teenager so all this sort of contributes towards a healthier healthier judgment and at this moment in time I think it's, it's fair to say that Liverpool are sort of leading the field according to what the manager wants and what his philosophy is and what his, his vision is and marrying that with with what is going on behind the scenes you know in, in the scouting department yeah, because James, lots of clubs are going to get the same data in, aren't they? They'll have the same sort of computer systems, but I suppose it's how they they interpret it, and then whether they can get a player without other clubs thinking that they're chasing them. So, say for example, we talked Diogo Jota, Fabinho, players that arrived rather by surprise. Yeah, and I think that's the the big thing. It's Liverpool aren't the only club who use analytics and data. You know, all clubs have access to this absolute you know array of information on you know every player playing in pretty much you know any decent league around the world but it's it's how you use that and how you interpret it and that that's where Liverpool have been so successful um and as Simon said you know the structure that they've got in place with you know a relatively small 12 to 15 global scouts you know works really well uh, and I, th- I think from, from the people I spoke to for the piece I think what what struck me was you know that good balance they've got between you know using the data and analytics but also they still go in for the old school type of scouting as well. You know, someone said to me, you still can't beat, you know, having people on the ground, having people, you know, it's it's not just a case of watching Y Scout and, you know, on your laptop and, and, and studying spreadsheets. It's, you know, the value of having scouts at every ground, scouts who know intricate details about players' contracts, you know, whether it's release clauses and, you know, even, you know, the just little things like, you know, what's going on in a player's, personal life have they have they moved countries before how did they handle that that difference in culture the language you know what what kind of different styles have they played in before you know under what managers and as Simon said you know players may well you know move countries and everything but because of this great system Liverpool has got they've, they've got you know a, 
a huge amount of information on on players that's passed around when you know say for example you know someone like Fabino and you know when when he you know if someone comes across from South America they already know a huge amount on them so they're not they're not making judgments based on three months or six months or twelve months you know it's, you're talking like three four five years worth of of information and um, you know all of that has helped Liverpool make a, a succession of very shrewd decisions when it comes to recruitment. Uh, Secrets of the Liverpool Scouts is on The Athletic right now. Uh, This is The Red Agenda, your exclusive Liverpool podcast. And let's finish with a look at Liverpool's next match, which is uh, in the Champions League. Of course, they're already through, but you've been um, looking more intensely, Kiva, at some work that Michelin have been doing. Yeah, some really interesting stuff, to be honest. I found it quite fascinating. I mean, as we all know, Michelin are a very fascinating club, they're innovative and, you know, when they merged from two teams in 1999 to, to make the one club, you know, since then it's been, you know, just just a really fascinating journey for them. Um, I keep saying the word fascinating because it really is. I mean, they've inspired so many clubs, including Liverpool. I think Jürgen Klopp was meant to spend a bit of his sabbatical after Dortmund there, but obviously he got the Liverpool job, so wasn't able to do that. Obviously, Liverpool have the same throwing coach and Thomas Grandmark. And they were sort of using football data in, in ways teams are commonly using it now before anyone was really doing it. And now they've basically created this school, which is, it's not an academy. It'll feed into the academy because I think their academy runs from the age of 16. But it's called gold mining, which is translates to gold mine basically, and it's kind of based off Rasmus Ankerson's book, The Gold Mine Effect, and basically just sort of creating this school that is gonna what they think should make the best players in the world, so the, the perfect sort of environment for them to be to go on and win the Ballon d'Or. Basically, the, you know, I spoke to the CEO at the club, Klaus Steinlein, and he said, you know, he wants to. This team, obviously, this is the first time in the Champions League. He wants them to, to keep being in the Champions League. But the real dream will be to have players from the Goldmine School. And what what's quite interesting about it is it's on the same grounds as the, the first team and the academy play. I think they're doing similar to Liverpool, doing a bit of a rebuild. I think that'll be done in 2022. But, you know, right now the buildings that these 75 pupils are in from the age of 5 to 12, they look out the windows and, you know, they're seeing Midgieland's first team play and they, they play on the pitch next to them. So it's it's a school for obviously football, but also handball as well. The, the girls can play that. It just just so interesting, basically. the You know, the, it's, it's mm. not just like sitting down all day and, and learning maths. It'd be learning maths in, you know, a physical way. So they'd be you know, stepping forward to two add two. I think the, the CEO sort of said, you know, you'd step forward twice and then step back and you'd realise that's four. So learning in a different way with the bodies almost, you know, it's quite a physical school. I think they spend like five hours a day, you know, of activities. They've already, you know, saw a massive improvement in a lot of the children's education. There's, there's been kids who've came to the school who couldn't read and then within six weeks they can. It's like, it just sounds phenomenal really. And like any child's dream, you know, any sporty kid out there, it sounds like, you know, what they're doing in Denmark is, is just so exciting and pioneering. And there's plans to to make a school in London because obviously the their owner, Matthew Benham, is, um, he owns Brentford as well. Um, so there's plans to open these schools across Denmark and across the world, and their hope is to, you know, create these elite athletes. But also on the 
the other side of it. They want to create good people and good citizens. So, you know, they're working like closely with the UN's 17 sustainable goals and development goals. And they're sort of in every lesson, you know, they talk about them all the time, climate change, the focus on that kind of thing. Um, just like it was so interesting to listen about it because it's there's, there's nothing like it in the world. Really intriguing stuff going on at Mitchell and FC. Of course, Liverpool's next opponents in the Champions League. Uh, many thanks, of course, as always, to Kiva, to Simon and to James. Hope you've enjoyed the Red Agenda and we'll bring you another one in a week. Mm-hmm.